but you cannot stick your head in the sand with any of this because it will change how we manage money over time. It's all, we're already talking about the Reserve Bank of Australia saying we're going to have an EAUD, which I am thrilled about because it's going to reduce the costs to everybody. So I think that's great. I can't wait. Um, but it's coming for you, so you may as well learn a little bit about it and understand it so that you're not frightened of it, so that you're not hiding. Welcome to the Sisterhood Club podcast, where we talk all things business, Web3 and NFTs. We're on a mission to educate, elevate and empower women into the world of Web3. So join us on this journey as we learn together from leading experts. And remember, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. So please do your own research and enjoy today's episode. Welcome to another episode of the Sisterhood Club podcast with myself, Georgie Hubbard. And me, Pam Caldwell. Today, we are very excited and honored as we are joined by Lacey Filipich. Lacey is the founder of Money School, where her mission is to help people become financially independent and reclaim their lives. She is passionate about helping people become time rich so they're able to live the lives that they want. She is also a speaker, mother, and best-selling author. And we are extremely honored and excited to have her as an educator within the Sisterhood School. Lacey, amazing to have you here today and uh, we've already had a really good conversation uh you know before this but uh before we dive into some real like juicy conversation here I'd love to kick off with just a little bit of an introduction to yourself your journey and um yeah what what sort of brought you here today so over to you Lacey who are you what's your journey I'd love to hear Ah, thank you so much for having me, Georgie and Pam. It's delightful to be joining you. I'm so excited to have the chance to chat about all this stuff. It's um, yeah. it's just it's really piqued my interest and I love seeing what you're doing. I think what people often get tripped over with me is they go, well, why are you in personal finance when your background's actually chemical engineering? So not, not your traditional personal finance author from that perspective. And the reason that I work in personal finance now is I realised that people weren't getting taught about money. And that came through, uh, I had a personal crisis that caused me to think about whether I was going to continue trying to climb the corporate ladder as an engineer and into management, which happens a lot with engineers. They go and manage people, which is pretty funny considering we're not traditionally considered very good with people, (laughs) (laughs) but that's okay. Uh, And that crisis made me redesign my life and start taking mini retirements. And my friends were saying, how come you don't have to work so much, Lacey? How come you can take six months off and have the other six months bumming around in Margaret River down south of Perth where I live? And I was like, well, I've been, you know, saving and investing and, you know, my properties are paying me rent and my shares are paying me dividends and what have you been doing? And they were all getting credit cards and car loans Mm -hmm. and things like that. And, of course, if it was today, they would have been getting buy now, pay later. But it wasn't mm-hmm. around back then. And that was the point at which I realized, hey, people don't get taught about money the way that my mum taught me about money. And I was just very lucky to win the ovarian lottery. And that's why <laughs> I now run money school. So I uh, I realized, of course, that part of the reason people don't learn about money, first of all, it wasn't in the curriculum when I first started money school. It is now. But the other thing is it's made to feel quite overwhelming and scary. There's lots of jargon. Uh, it's very easy to get turned off, especially by new things. I think people often put it in the overwhelm bucket and say, oh, I can't look at that. And I think a little bit of education goes a long way with money. So I focus on trying to make it less scary, less intimidating, and help people make decisions that are going to empower them for the future. 
Amazing. It's absolutely amazing, Lacey. So I, I am actually, I'm just so keen to dive deep into this conversation because I sort of came from a more traditional sort of background in terms of how I was educated about money. Um, and I think that growing up for me, the, the goal is to pay off your mortgage. That was that, that that was the thing that we were all working towards, right? Paying off that money, uh, that mortgage, having a little bit of savings in the bank so that you can go your one holiday a year thumbs up you're winning at life um so just like sort of talk to me about like what were some of the key things that you sort of spoke with about your 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 parents when you were growing up and what really encouraged you to sort of enter that world of splitting your money and and, and saving for the future yeah. it's an important thing I think a lot of parents ask me today because they go well, how did your mum teach me can you please just tell me how she did it and they copy <laughs> which I love it's great if it works for them that's what I'll be doing. <laughs> uh, yeah it's it's uh, uh that's you know that's what money school exists for to teach people how to do that um what happened throughout my whole life is I watched my mother who was a single parent who didn't get a lot of child support from my dad they split when I was eight and she earned, when they split up, about $30,000 a year and was supporting two girls. It's not a lot of money. And so <clears throat> I became very conscious that there was decisions to be made. And I watched at the same time my dad, who ran his own business, and he spent a lot of money on things that we would call depreciating assets, I now know, things like cars and clothes and jewellery and, and that kind of stuff. And so watching them both make decisions was really educational for me. And I consider in that, sorry, Dad, I love my dad. He's an example of what not to do. (laughs) Uh, Whereas my mother was a real role model for me, someone that I wanted to follow, someone who was very sensible about saving and conservative investing. I've never been very, uh, I guess, active as an investor in terms of I haven't wanted to spend a lot of time doing it. I've Mm -hmm. wanted to, you know, take very traditional, conservative, slow build options so that I didn't have to spend a lot of time reading or managing or anything like that. And I kind of got that from my mum, though, interestingly enough, she was much more uh, of a risk taker than I was. (laughs) Um, And considering I'm younger, that doesn't fit most models. Everyone thinks younger people are supposed to be more into risk and older people aren't. It's completely the opposite for us. Uh, But watching them was a real education and my mum just planted little seeds Rather than lecturing me, she'd just ask me questions like, what are you going to do with that money that you earned when I was 10 years old and starting my first business? And then when I said, oh, I don't know, maybe spend it, what else could I do? She was like, well, did you know if you put it in the bank, the bank will give you more money called interest? And then next year they give you more money on that money as well, and that's called compounding? And my mind went and exploded. And that was the beginning of me deciding to save half of every dollar I've ever earned, which I still do 30 years later. So little Amazing. little conversations. I'm just very yeah. lucky that she was smart enough not to tell me what to do because I'm very pig-headed and I would not have listened. But she was yeah. sensible about asking those little questions and just teasing out what interested me, mm. what I was willing to do, and then building on that and, and just showing me the way with those things, you know, giving me books or taking me to courses or just even having conversations. So that's how I learned. Yeah. I think that's amazing. And, look, I take my hats off to parents now because – I think we can all sit here and say that life is very different to how when I grew up, right? There wasn't such thing as social media back then. And I believe that what we live in an instant gratification society, right? That paints this picture of if you don't have this type of handbag or that you live in this type of house or drive this certain car, you're not successful, right? And I feel like there's this constant battle between, you know, wanting all these nice things that, you know, society deems as you're doing well and also, 
you know, pulling away the savings, making these smart investment choices. And I think that there is this, people are torn because, you know, we go into like these big shopping malls that are just set up to be like, you know, buy all these things and you're going to feel amazing. So what are you sort of seeing and how can people be super aware because we're constantly being marketed to every single minute of every single day. How, how can we as society, like be aware of this and make sure that we are making the right financial decisions that are going to move us ahead and not sort of keep us stuck and even mm. fall into debt. This is a really big philosophical question, I think, and it is really mm. important for people to think about in their own context. So what I have noticed from talking to people is that the wealthiest people I know are the daggiest, like genuinely. They're wearing, yeah. they're wearing the worst clothes. They're, they're the ones that couldn't give a damn how they look. They're not wearing makeup. They're like they, they don't invest a lot of their, I guess, ego or definition of themselves almost in how they look or the things they own. And they have the capacity to have those things and to look that way and to put in that effort. They have the time, the energy and the resources, but they don't think it's a priority. What I see a lot of is people mm-hmm. who perhaps feel like they're not at the place in their life where they want to be or they're going through some kind of trauma or they've been through some kind of trauma. They just don't feel good, I think, and they rely on spending money to to fill a hole often. And whether it's I want to look a certain way or I want to have, like you talked about, you know, that you know everyone's going to have the latest uh, gadget or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, accessory. There's a lot of peer pressure to feel like you need that to be doing well, and that is a definition of success. Mm-hmm. So I'm easily, like, I, somehow, I guess being an engineer has helped, by the way. Engineers are notoriously daggy dresses, and <laughs> <laughs> we love to be super frugal because <laughs> um, we hate waste. And I really, I hate waste. I hate wasted time. I hate wasted five resources. Bl- five black T-shirts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. And so I think that sort of brings me to it. But I, I just find that um, you've got to really think about why you're buying the thing. And it's sometimes really uncomfortable to confront it. And, and some people aren't ready. So if you are doing that, I would say, look, if you're willing to look at it, start thinking about why you feel compelled to have things you don't need that you just want. Because that's, I think, the big thing. We convince ourselves we need it, but hey, is it really a need? Uh, it's probably more of a want. And if you're in a space where you can, you know, spend some time getting to those root causes and understanding that, then making that decision of if I'm going to buy that thing, I'm spending X amount of time to earn the money to buy it. Is it worth that many mm-hmm. hours, days, weeks of yeah. my time? And I guess I got to a point where because I value time so highly. It's just very rarely worth it for me to spend money on something that I don't absolutely need, uh, yeah. and and I derive my my satisfaction from having a say in how I spend my time. So I think that's really if you can get that mind shift to valuing your time more than the things, you've got a better chance at overcoming that instant gratification and that need to keep up with what everybody else is doing. But you also have yeah. to have a, a degree of feeling good about yourself to do it. I think it, you've got to feel pretty satisfied and confident and comfortable with where you are in life. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I, just, I just want to say this, that, you know, I can definitely relate to that. There was a point in my life when I was, um, you know, working in a corporate job and the only thing that gave me fulfillment was going out a weekend and buy myself something new, you know, and, and it was, it was to fill a hole, you know, luckily I was saving very hard at the time for my first home and I managed to get that. So it wasn't like I was just blowing all my income on, you know, just those, those, you know, consumer products. 
but it, it, it was honestly like my highlight of my weekend because I hated my Monday to Friday was going to the shopping mall and buying myself, you know, a new handbag or a new jumper or whatever it was, right? Just to make myself feel something because to be quite honest, I felt pretty dead inside. So I think that's a really powerful message for every single person to think about like, you know, if you want to go and buy yourself a new thing and, and look it's nice to treat yourself right I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say that I still don't like going shopping and treating myself right who doesn't right I still do enjoy that but if I I think the younger generation and you know um a family member you know um messaged me a little while ago saying that they really wanted to buy a Gucci belt and I was like that's a beautiful belt right but you know you are you're still in university you've saved up all this money instead of buying that Gucci belt could that not be saved or could that not be invested like why do you need that belt what is that belt going to give you and I really challenged her on it and she still went got the belt <laughs> but but at least she was you know I, I wanted to kind of understand like why do you need to go and spend you know 500 pounds on a belt like what mm. is that gonna do for you no, she's like things. well you know I just want yeah yeah Sorry. yeah I, I, I want to feel good and yeah. I'm like well yeah, it's tough, isn't Maybe it? Maybe you need to feel good inside, right? So it is. Yeah. It's really hard. But there's two things at play that really make people do that. One is you get a hit of feel-good chemicals when you spend, and that is why money yeah. does burn a hole in our pocket. <laughs> your, your brain mm-hmm. is not your friend <laughs> when it comes to cash. Mm-hmm. If it can yeah. see a chance to I can relate to this so much. <laughs> I love to shop. Yeah, and look, I, I love, love shopping too. And I think, I think, look, if you're going to have the Gucci belt, have the Gucci belt, but that's it. You don't go then and buy the Gucci shoes yeah. and you don't buy the jacket and the shirt and you don't go out next weekend and buy it again. You give yourself six or 12 months before you buy another significant mm-hmm. item. But because we get that hit yeah. and because it's like a drug, because it's the mm-hmm. same kind of feeling that we get from drugs or sex or from, you know, exercise, we're chasing that hit of feel-good mm-hmm. chemicals. So our brain does that. So that's the first thing that I think we have to know that our brain is not on our side <laughs> and we can't, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. expect our brain to to be built into this discipline of I won't spend it. The only reason I overcome it is because I've got something more important to me, which is my time. That's that overrides that need for the mm. dopamine hit, right? So that's that's what you need. Yeah. The second thing is when people are in financial stress. This is uh, this research just blew my mind when I read it. It's out of Princeton University, and they were studying the effect of financial stress on people's IQ. And when you are financially mm-hmm. stressed, your IQ drops by thirteen points on average. Wow. So part of your CPU of your brain, if you like, your your cognitive capacity is chewed up. And if you've ever had that experience, you can probably remember, you know, being out to dinner with your mates or on the train or whatever, and you're thinking, can I afford my rent? Can I afford the mortgage? Can I get cover the school fees? Whatever it is that's worrying you. And because that's chewing up part of your brain space, it reduces your IQ. So you make worse decisions in every area of your life, not just in money. You'll make worse career decisions. You'll make worse relationship decisions. You will struggle because it affects the whole of your life. And it's specific to financial stress that they've tested, but I can actually imagine it applying to any kind of stress. So 13 IQ points is significant. We're, human beings are an average of about yeah. 100. I haven't got 13 IQ points to spare. Um, but that <laughs> means that when you are stressed, you make these choices that aren't good choices. And a uni student would typically probably be under some financial stress. They'd probably be wondering about whether they can get employed. So what happens is we used to get taught poor people make bad decisions and that it's a character flaw and so poor people stay poor. But actually what happens is 
when we feel poor, we make bad decisions. And often those decisions keep right. us poor. <laughs> so wow. so that, that's this real problem for people. So you see people that are in terrible financial situations spending money in ways that, you, that a person who's not in financial stress would go, that's silly, come on. But mm. they're doing it because they're yeah. not going to make as good a decision anyway. So you've got that dopamine, you've got the financial stress, and that's why you see some people make really poor decisions that they, they would not have made if they didn't feel that way. Interesting thing, huh? It really is. That's fascinating. Yeah. It really is. Um, I would wow. actually love to chat about the mini retirement concepts <laughs> that you've mentioned. Now, this this was a mind blown for me because I think it just it's something that is so powerful that could actually flip the mindset of many people, especially young people, um, who after being cooped up for two years throughout the course of COVID are desperate for experiences and travel, and it, you know it just opens up your mind because I think we are so conditioned to work our entire lives for this end goal, this end retirement, right? So please share the concept behind the mini retirement and and what that can mean um, for young people. Love talking about this. One of my favourite topics. Uh, So uh, the the term mini retirement comes from Tim Ferriss' book, The 4-Hour Workweek, and that's where I first picked it up when I had that crisis and was like, oh, my gosh, my life cannot continue this way. What, what are the alternatives? That's when I came across it. And out of all the things in the book, that's the thing I have applied the most. And the idea is when we first designed retirement, it was designed to be a gift for people who had literally lived past the age of the average lifespan so that they didn't have to keep working until they grow. Because people just used to, you know, we're talking you know, a couple of centuries ago, work till they died. That was normal or they were invalided. Mm. That was it. You didn't have a retirement. So they introduced this concept of retirement, and I would call that the end-of-life retirement, but we use retirement in the traditional sense to mean that. You you get to the end of your working life and then you stop working and then you play golf or you travel or you have coffee with your friends and you don't work again. And, of course, the problem with that is people are living longer, so you might have 20 or 30 years of that now. And also what you probably hear a lot of people talk about is when they get to that age they don't want to travel they don't want to take up new hobbies necessarily mm-hmm. you know they're they're tired then maybe they've yeah. had you know injuries and stuff like that or they've got health complications and so this idea of mini retirements is don't leave it to the end take some of that time in your youth while you're young while you're fit while you can do what you want to do and actually experience life while you're not working because we don't design it well and look in Australia we've got a pretty generous annual leave system that most people get four weeks a year and and you get long service leave and compared to places like America it's fantastic but still you can spend 48 weeks of the year working (laughs) you spend those four weeks recuperating from the 48 weeks that you spent working and and that can go on for 40 or 50 years so I just went wow why, why would I do that why would I spend my whole time working and not enjoying life and so started taking many retirements after that you know, major health crisis that I had. And, um, yeah, in the first five years, had 22 months off in total and split up into chunks of three to six months each time. And it was fantastic. I didn't have specific goals necessarily for those mini retirements. It wasn't about, you know, hitting some kind of personal goal. We, we just threw out the alarm clock and, and had fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. it was completely unwound. You know, it takes a while. It t- took me a good month each time to unwind from the pressure to always be doing something and to be just fine mm-hmm. sitting around and not reaching for a phone or anything like that. Uh, but it's really healing time 
when you've been really busy Mm -hmm. and it's a fantastic opportunity to come up with new ideas and decide if you're happy with your life and you know it's I just highly recommend it if you can find a way to make it happen having a chunk of three to six months off at a time when you're young and trying to do that semi-regularly whether it's every couple of years whatever you can, can make work I think it's it's worth doing why wait why wait till you're 65 or 70. I'm sat here now smiling and nodding along because that's exactly what I've just come off the back of. I'm going to call, I called it my soulcation, um, but AKA a mini retirement, right? I think, you know, Lacey, when we spoke to you, Kai and I had just been off the back of five months traveling in a converted sprinter van. And I realized during that time that I did not have an off button. I had been go, 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 go since I was 14 years of age. I had never taken any time off. You know, I had worked, 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 save, 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 save. One goal was hit, then another goal was made. I didn't actually know what it meant to unwind, to switch off, to take deep breaths. And for five months, we traveled around in in our van and it was one of the most incredible experiences. And in that time, Sisterhood Club came up. And I just thought, isn't this amazing how, because I'm not constantly in doing mode, my creativity is now sort of being awoken. I'm, I'm, I'm able to think and sit with my thoughts and, and think about what is next? You know, what do, how, where do I see myself in five, 10 years time? What kind of business do I want? Like all of these questions I had time to process. And I just think that it doesn't have to be five months traveling in a van. It could be a few weeks, a month, it could be whatever, but take some time like you know we're not going to get to the end of our lives and look back and go oh that was fantastic I sent a thousand emails and you know I got that sales done and you know look at all that money I've got in my bank account we're going to look back and go what experiences did I have what memories have I made have I lived have I you know have I really excelled at life am I proud of who I've become you know I feel like this is what I want to get across and this is why I'm so passionate about what we're building with the sisterhood school why your course is so important because because what I got, and I'd love to pick your brain on this, is that people said to me, oh, Georgie, it's easy for you. It's lucky for you. You know, I've, I'm a full-time mom. You know, I've got a job. I've got mortgages to pay. I, it was always, you know, I don't want to say it, but excuses about why they couldn't do what I was doing. You know, why they couldn't just go off on a trip, you know, for five months because I had all of these things. So if, if, you, if there's someone listening to this right now being like, well, this is great. I love the idea of having a mini retirement, but... I wouldn't even know how to even start that plan. What what advice would you give to that person listening to this right now? Mm, it's it's an interesting one. Everyone's personal circumstances are mm. so different. So sometimes those yeah. reasons are reasons. They are, they're unavoidable. Sometimes you, yeah. you're in a situation in life where you're not going to be able to do it in the short term. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't think about it, plan it, and if opportunities come up, leap on them. And I think mm-hmm. that's the difference between yeah. saying, oh, it'll never happen for me and I can't do it versus, look, it's not right right now, but in the future it might be. Mm-hmm. And then working out what those circumstances might be. You know, often it's, oh, well, I got made redundant. There's a gift. Uh, or, you know, yes. we, we're moving country because someone's had a work relocation and I'm taking a break. Or it's the kids are now in childcare or at school and I can decide whether I'm ready to go back or not. There's there's opportunistic timing timing sometimes. So just because you can't do it right now doesn't mean you should write it off as a possibility forever. So that said, mm-hmm. often we're only looking a few months ahead, aren't we? So that's okay. Just, just keep in mind that um, it could happen in the future. The things that made it really easy for me, and it sounds like probably for you too, Georgie, is the fact that I had saved very, very well my whole life. So I had mm-hmm. a nice buffer of cash. 
So not having an income wasn't going to mean that I would starve. So I think for a lot of people that's the first step, making sure you've got some cash so that you can still live. Mm. But the other part of that is when you are mini-retired, you can go and live somewhere that's a lot cheaper and life costs come down. I don't know if you saw this with your travelling, but I yeah. certainly had with all of my mini-retirements because I track just total spend. I don't track what, what the components are, but I track what I spend. And on each of my mini-retirements, my costs went down by a quarter to a third because we'd go and live in an area where rent was cheap. <laughs> we would go and uh, eat at the food markets, you know, like we would, and we would cook a lot. And you didn't have to do things in peak hour and you weren't paying for convenience. So I think people tend to overestimate how much they need. They tend to think they need what they're currently earning plus a little bit more. Well, actually, you probably don't need as much as you think. And so long as you've got enough savings to cover that period, plus a little bit extra in case it takes you a while to get back into work or find a new contract or whatever it might be, then that's enough. Now, the things that make it possible for me and my husband to take a mini retirement whenever we feel like it now, and my husband's just coming up to three years, and his current meaning retirement is the fact that we have a passive income from our assets. That's what's made it sustainable and, and a complete option. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you have to be there. And I actually started taking those mini retirements before I became financially independent. And then when I was working mm-hmm. in between those mini retirements, I still concentrated on buying more assets so that eventually the income, which is for me mostly dividends and rent, uh, meets our living mm-hmm. costs. And look, we are cheap to run. We're pretty like low key. We're both engineers. We're both dags. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, we don't need a lot. We'll see your but, five uh, t-shirts each. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I love it. It's yeah. it's. Uh, I'm genuinely so excited to have money skill as part of the sisterhood skill. I think financial literacy mm-hmm. is incredibly important. And in actual fact female financial independence is something that I feel incredibly passionate about and um for me I'm in my I'm going to say geez mid to late 30s now isn't that depressing but anyway, like I, I I'm, I'm only recently over the past couple of years um really actually starting to be more financial financially literate um and that's not what I want for for people that are going to be a part of your community I think it is so important to be educated on how you can make your money work for you um so in terms of the course Lacey if we could just actually talk to some of the content of the course um you know what have you got in there what what kind of nuggets of gold um have you got in there that you would like to sort of share um and what what is your hope what's your hope for the women that we're going to have going through the sisterhood school that are going to be doing your course um what do you what's your hope that people take away from, yeah. from completion of money school yeah, it's um yeah, I guess it's the, this is the reason why I do what I do, right? Being able to help people learn these skills and, yeah. and not feel overwhelmed. So and I often to start with the story before I get into the content, whenever someone um says, Oh, I've started late, you know, I always point them to my mother's story. She being a single parent didn't have a spare cent, just didn't while she was raising us. She started investing when she was forty nine, bought a thousand dollars worth of Suncorp wow. shares. She got to financial independence at 63. Now, I out-earned her three years out of university because engineers do, right? She she never made heaps of money, um, but she was really sensible with it and she saved and invested. So so my mother, who, like you would say, she had a low income and then probably an average income towards that end period, um, she made it. And thank goodness she did because she ended up passing away seven years later. So imagine if you'd had that extra two years of working, you know, and missed out on that time. We never know what's coming for us. But if you're, if you're worried that it's too late for you, 
think about my mum, Fran. If you're younger than 49, you're ahead of her. <laughs> um, and you don't have to take stupid, crazy risks. You can just be slow and steady and, and get there. So I think a lot of people write it off and say, oh, well, it won't work for me because I'm so-and-so or some demographic thing. It can work for most people. It's just a matter of how long it takes you to get there. You know, big incomes add speed. Certain demographics add speed. But theoretically, if you've got an income, it's worth trying. Um, it's not going to set you backwards anyway, so you may as well give it a shot. So I focus with um, financial skills on three rules, and they are save, buy assets, avoid bad debt. <laughs> so in um, the Sisterhood Club, you're going to find one course for each of those. So the one on avoiding bad debt is about buy now, pay later, which a lot of people fool themselves into thinking is not debt because it's not managed under the National Debt Code, uh, and you don't have to pre-qualify. But one in five people using Buy Now, Pay Later in Australia is going without meals to meet their repayments right now. It's bad news, and it's the most easily accessible. So rather than talking about debt in general and credit and credit cards and all that sort of stuff, I've focused on Buy Now, Pay Later because people need to understand if they're going to use it, how to use it to their advantage and when to use it and understand that it is Borrowing from future you, that's plain and simple. The fact that it's right. not called interest, that it's fees, mm. is irrelevant. <laughs> it is debt. Mm. So that's the first one that's in there. That's about that avoiding bad debt and how to use that well. Then on saving, saving is about paying future you first, paying yourself first. If you don't put some money aside for, for you, then you won't be able to invest in a sensible way. You'll have to take a lot of risk if you try to do it and you might end up with debt that's not sustainable. So saving, I consider compulsory. The rate is irrelevant. So the course that actually helps with that is a spending plan course or a budgeting course about how to map out your spending. Now, to be very clear, I don't budget anymore because I save half and then the other half I spend with impunity. If I want to buy a Gucci belt, I buy a Gucci belt, right? I don't, so I don't. But <laughs> um, because I've saved, <laughs> you did, you could. exactly because I've saved first, yeah. I don't care, right? Like what you spend your money on is, mm. you know, spend with impunity and without beating yourself up. If you've saved first and saved mm. aggressively, I would say I save aggressively, um, or at mm. least ambitiously. But a big part of that from mm-hmm. a lot of people is understanding how much they can save. So there's a course in there on how to set up your budget. And I have particularly designed that one for young people who maybe haven't lived out of home yet or don't know what their costs are going to be, but it applies to any kind of budgeting. So it, it shows a process for how to fill out a paper version. I like a paper version for a budget um, and how to treat it like a plan. So that's that's on the how to save really is to, to understand your spending so that you can put some money aside. And then, of course, the really fun bit is on assets. So in the assets I talk about what what is investing, what does that mean? Um, I talk about a few of the common types of investments. So I talk about property and I talk about shares and I talk about cryptocurrency, which I talk about specifically in there because, look, my opinion is at the moment it's still not what I would class as an investment because I talk about assets as things that put money in your pocket and you can't make money off crypto monthly unless you stake it at the moment. And that's, you need a little bit of knowledge. Um, but like the same way that foreign exchange wouldn't be considered an asset. You know, like there's lots of things that people invest in that aren't yeah. assets for the purposes of becoming financially independent. Uh, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't look at it and shouldn't be curious about it mm. and maybe even have some. I have some crypto. But don't mm. um, expect that it's going to perform as investments would traditionally perform things like shares and property, which are very heavily regulated, very long mm. establishment times um, and really broad market opportunities. So, so you talk about those yeah. 
in there and and the idea of that is so that people get a bit familiar with the lingo they understand how they work Mm -hmm. and then can maybe start dabbling in the ones they're interested in yeah 100 percent. and i would agree on everything you've just said then as well and in terms of those assets like property is something that i'm very bullish on i think that you know property is something providing obviously that you invest well in property in good areas where there's lots of infrastructure and obviously i would always recommend you know working with people who you know can give you good advice because again it's like anything any investment of course there's a risk involved right whether it's crypto property stocks and shares like i've got money in stocks and shares right now i'm not even looking at that because if i looked at that right now we're going to be in a bear market I'd probably cry um so that's <laughs> that's not being looked at right now but I don't panic because what I don't do is invest what I can't afford right so I feel like and I'd love to get your thoughts on this um Lacey as well because you're the expert and and I'm you know I I, I educate myself but you, you know more than me but what what I do my 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 uh, wisdom when it comes to stocks and shares is I um a dollar cost average so I just put the same amount in every single month, whether it's up, whether it's down, I just go, that's my money going into stocks and shares. That's a long-term investment. I don't go, I don't play short-term when it comes to stocks and shares, same as property. I've got a couple of investment properties now and, you know, I don't even sort of like look at the, look at them sort of month to month. They just, you know, basically just pay my, pay my mortgage. And, and I'm very, very grateful to be in the position that I'm in, but I have done exactly what you have done. And that's why I really wanted your course because I'm so passionate and I, I know that you've literally just laid it out exactly what you've done and how you can get to financial freedom from a young age. But touching on the whole like crypto, because this is something as well that I I would love to sort of um, get your thoughts on as well. And I would agree with you. I think that, you know, it is volatile right now. And I think what I, what I really want to get across to the, the, the women that listen to this podcast is it's, it's almost not seeing like NFTs and crypto as investments, right? Do I think that women need to be in this space? absolutely but more so because what will happen is you know web 3 is coming right it's it's going to be it's the internet it, it's web 2 was you know it was facebook it was google it was read write but web 3 is all about you know sort of taking back your ownership taking back your identity almost right that was kind of lost in web 2 because we gave all our power away to those big companies so for me what my mission is is to get more women yes interested and curious about crypto i think you should have a curiosity you should do your own research which we can touch upon but you know read you know listen to things listen to things like this podcast you know educate yourself on what is going on in this market you know how can you get involved but always make sure that you don't just pour all of your savings all of your hard earned cash into anything diversify you know, I'm never going to sit here and say, yep, you should just put all of your money into NFTs, all your money into properties. Like that is wrong advice. Anyone who tries to do that, run a mile. But what I would love women to do, what I encourage women to do is when you are looking to, you know, looking into crypto and NFTs, look into the founders, look into the utility. Like, are you, are you passionate about what they represent? You know, like that's what I want to encourage, you know, because it's not going to be, oh, I'm going to invest my $500 and then I'm going to be a millionaire overnight. You know, there's, there's been a few projects that are kind of like where that has happened. People have made a lot of money. Right. But I don't want women to think that, you know, that's what NFTs and crypto is all about. I think it's really important for people to have a diverse, you know, a diverse portfolio. And if you can have multiple streams of income, that's in my in my view that's the best way to to be but i'd love to sort of get your thoughts on you know 
why why is it that women maybe are a bit more risk averse? I, I know that I was certainly from a younger age. And what do you see and how how are you sort of encouraging the younger generation coming through to to be curious and to look in multiple ways of setting themselves up financially? Mm, it's a really interesting point, isn't it? We hear so often rules of thumb, gut feels, sayings mm. that women aren't good with money or any of that kind of stuff, which I completely rail against. I, I don't think uh, whether you have ovaries or testicles matters <laughs> um, or, or either or both. <laughs> um, you know, it's, 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 not a, it's not a thing. It's just made to look like that. And, mm. and, and we, we take a lot of our cues from what we've seen in our family. So if you've had a mother who's like, oh, no, see daddy about the money or I don't worry about any of that, it's normal if you've, you've picked that up, but there's absolutely zero evidence that women are bad investors or can't save or, or any of that. And if anyone tells you that stuff, just ignore them. Uh, and, and if you, yeah. you're carrying that, you got to really look at why. Why have you got that belief? So I think I always talk about money being agnostic. Money doesn't give a shit, what, excuse me for swearing, uh, but does not care <laughs> what, what, what you've got, you know, they, they, it doesn't care. But that's about, you know, the technical skills. The difference with the genders is our access. It's society structure. So on average, a woman's going to earn less money. They're going to retire with less superannuation. So that is definitely true. That's not up for question. And anyone who tries to tell you there's no gender pay gap or there's no superannuation retirement gap in the genders doesn't understand research, bluntly. They haven't read actual research. They haven't looked at the people who are professionals in this area who spend a lot of time analysing that. So, again, if anyone tells you that, it's BS. So the issue is we've got this average women struggle a lot more because we have less access and that is, there's a lot of factors there. Mm-hmm. We're still the only ones that can grow babies. So you have to take some time off when you have a baby. It's brutal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you have to recover, mm-hmm. um, things like that. But there's, there's all that traditional stuff that happens as well and stuff that's unconscious and very, very subtle, but it all leads to this thing. I think the, the challenge is, as a woman, you've got to think about whether you're happy to have an, your own personal pay gap. So my whole career... Uh, there might be on average people get paid less if they're women doing what I do, um, but I have made it my business to make sure that does not happen to me and ask for a pay raise mm-hmm. every six months when I was working, uh, increase my rates <laughs> as a consultant, all that kind of stuff. I, I'm not willing to tolerate my own personal pay gap. I do that because I can and there are people who can't and that's why we still need a lot of systemic societal change to help people because it's not going to fix itself. We've tried that. Uh, we need a lot more work to try and make it possible, particularly for men to do more caring roles, to raise the way the rate of pay for caring roles in general, like childcare and nursing and things like mm-hmm. that, uh, and close those gaps. So that's that's sort of a big picture thing. But anyone who thinks, oh, I'm a woman, I'm going to earn less, on average it might be true, but I think you've got to do everything you can in your power to make that not true for you personally. The more of us that do that, of course, the better it's going to be. <laughs> um, but that doesn't come away from we've got to fix society. So that's the first thing I guess I'd say. When it's something about, you know, like for, particularly for cryptocurrency, and the point you make about diversification is really important and not risking money that you're going to need for rent or for food or for anything really important. 
I think what happens for a lot of people, and this is normal, it's why we gamble, is we hear the stories of the person who turned 10 grand into a million bucks, took their money out, and now they're rich. And we think, I want a piece of that. It's not going to happen for most of us. And so although those stories are inspiring, don't take them as normal. Those people were usually very lucky, usually. Sometimes they had access to more information or more knowledge than you had, so they were able to make an educated decision. But a lot of the time it was luck. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. So you're just going to be conscious of that, that that get-rich-quick stuff is very rare. It's probably not going to happen to you. So make your decisions as if it's going to be a slow burn. I think with something like cryptocurrency, when I'm trying to learn about cryptocurrency, I turn to researchers. So one of my favourite people to follow on this is Professor David Yermak, and he's at NYU Stern, and he's been lecturing on cryptocurrency for six or seven years. And the reason I found him is he came out to Perth to to do a he does a, one of the units at University of Western Australia's MBA, and he did a free public lecture on crypto in 2017. And that's where I went along and learned the background of it, and my eyes just went, "Oh, this is revolutionary! It has the potential to be massive." And, you know, I learned about blockchain actually having been developed in 1992, and I, that was where I finally understood everyone you know, conflates blockchains with crypto, but no, crypto is just, it's a currency that uses the blockchain. So whenever I'm talking to people about how cryptocurrency works, I will often say, look, the reason why I don't consider it an investment is because it's outside jurisdictions for prosecution. So if someone does the wrong thing with a company and I've got shares, then I've got some recourse thanks to to, thanks to the laws in Australia, the moment they mostly sit outside that. So I, that's not okay with me for risk. I, I, that wouldn't meet my personal thing. But some people don't care. If you don't care, go for it. <laughs> that's just because I think I'm old enough that I've seen things go wrong badly with that kind of stuff. Um, but you do need to take responsibility for how you manage it. So, for example, hacking of crypto wallets is a big deal. So if you're going to look at crypto, you need to understand what cold storage is. And strongly consider that, particularly if you're going to have a lot of money sitting in there. So things like that, I think, are enough to put people off, but that information is out there and you can go to trusted sources like these professors and like, you know, mainstream media um, to see some of the stories and then find some people you trust to learn from. But you cannot stick your head in the sand with any of this because it will change how we manage money over time. We're already talking about the Reserve Bank of Australia saying we're going to have an EAUD which I am thrilled about because it's going to reduce the costs to everybody. So I think that's great. I can't wait. Um, but it's coming for you, so you may as well learn a little bit about it and understand it so that you're not frightened of it, so that you're not hiding. And, and then if there are opportunities for you or you really do get excited in it, you might create a project. I, when I'm talking about crypto or any of the other applications of blockchain, I'm always looking for a use case. So I love the way that you guys are applying Well, you you get the NFT and that gives you access to the club. It's a very clear use case. Makes yeah. total sense to yeah. me, you know. Yeah. If you can see an application, yeah. it, that's what I think makes a big difference for whether it's viable yeah. for spending your time and energy on. 100%. And that's what excited me because when I first looked into NFTs and as did Pam, we were like, what is this? Like, why am I paying all this money for digital art? When I buy art, I want to put it on my wall. I want to look at it. I want to appreciate it. What, what's going on here? But what excited me was the technology behind it and what you can actually do with it. And, and also not just that, the communities that you can build. Like, you know, we started this podcast, the amount of amazing conversations that we're having with incredible women is just so phenomenal. And it's just such a collaborative space. So that that's really what I'm excited about. It's like, okay, you know, 
and, and all of these important topics that we're talking about, I, I want to bring it to the world, right? And I want to share it with our community and I want our community to have access to courses like yours you know I want women to be educated and I think that this is a beautiful way where you know women we can come together we can collaborate not compete but collaborate get together and make the world a better place because you know I do believe that what the world does need right now is a little bit more of that feminine energy, you know, that little bit more, you know, kindness and compassion and empathy going on in the world. You know, I think that that's really super important, especially where mother earth is at right now. Like she's, she's got a few problems and I feel like humanity needs to come together. So, you know, that's why I'm so passionate and bullish about web three. It's, you know, crypto is something different, of course, like it's still, you know, important part of it, but it's not, it's, it's such a small part of it. I feel like, you know, what I really want to encourage is that diversity in this space. And, um, and what I love what you were saying as well about the whole, you know, salary bias and, and, and encouraging women to speak up because, you know, Pam and I've got a recruitment business as well. And we've had that for the last, you know, four years and we've seen firsthand that, you know, the same job, you know, male male um, candidates will get paid averagely about 20 to 30 grand more for the same job as a woman. And yeah, we've witnessed that firsthand for the last four years, right? And we're like, we sat down, we're like, right, we've got to do something about this now because women simply don't speak up and, and they won't even apply for jobs if they don't feel like they hit all of the criteria, whereas men will be like, yep, yeah, I'm applying for that. So we've got a lot of work to do. But I think the first thing we need to do is, you know, share these messages, you know, communicate, encourage one another to speak up, tell our stories and, um, and, and hopefully inspire one another to be the best version of us and, and celebrate and elevate and empower, not put other women down or you not think because she's successful, I can't be, you know, there's enough abundance in the world for everyone. And let's, let's share that around and let's help one another. And, you know, hopefully in the process of that, raise humanity and, and make this into a better world that's that's my mission anyway so <laughs> yeah, yeah lovely. get fired up about it <laughs> on, on that note I, i'm actually also going to go away and consider if i actually need or want a wood burner in my living room <laughs> oh i don't know it's pretty cold in melbourne so i think that's a necessity <laughs> you've got me thinking lacy about my that's an important thing to do but that's I agree with you Georgie that's why I'm so big on financial independence that for me the thought of and and you've had this experience right you've had that five months off because you could and during that time you've come up with this idea how many other people have got amazing ideas incredible solutions or would get to them if they had the mental space and I really feel like the more people we can have financially independent so they don't they aren't beholden to a wage so, you know, their average of 40 hours, 50 hours a week, whatever they spend working, can be put to something yeah. else, something creative. Mm. We're going to solve so many of these big problems that are currently not getting solved because there's a lot of people that are chasing money because they have to. So yeah. it's a, yeah. it's a it's a big but deal. We, we can you, change that. You could go off. Yeah. yeah. You can yeah. go off in so many different directions with it as well because, like, just mm. the way that you've put that so beautifully there, Lacey, I, you're just thinking, the, the mental health implications yeah. of the way that we operate as a society at the moment as well it, it's you know it, it covers so many areas um so it just all comes back to like the money skill 
you've created something that's absolutely phenomenal and I'm genuinely so excited to have all the women that are going to be part of our platform um, giving them access to that because I think it could change the lives of many um, on a global scale. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, Lacey, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and I'd love to know like what is next for you? What are you working on right now? And uh, where can everyone find you apart from obviously in assisted school? But yeah, what's next for Lacey right now? Well, uh, it's been 12 years that I've been running Money School, my business for. If you want to find that, um, moneyschool.org.au is always the best place. So you can access the TEDx talk and the the books and all that fun stuff. Mm. But I'm actually working on a not-for-profit idea. I would like to see uh, some general financial advice available for free online. So I'm about to go down that fun rabbit hole of finding out about applying for an Australian financial services license. But what it will look like is decision trees. So when you're going to make a decision, when you're ready to Google, at that point of need, it will ask you questions to help guide you to what might be right for you based on your circumstances and then give you minimum effective dose education at the end at the right point. Rather than being like, hey, take my course on shares, it'll help you work out where you should be. And then that way people have got a better chance of, engaging with the education to to the best effect at the time when they need it uh, rather than this sheep dip mm-hmm. kind of thing um what i'm noticing mm-hmm. people who do need it like we'll have some fantastic people who will enroll in this and i'll complete every course and they'll be super excited and i can't wait to see those people there's a lot of people who because they're too overwhelmed they can't face doing a course i'm hoping this will help fill that need for them mm. Amazing. I have no doubt that it's going to be a huge success and it's going to help so many people. And look, obviously, yeah, I'm super excited to be working with you. And, um, you know, I can't wait to do your course myself because I'm a student for life. I love learning. I love growing. And uh, I'm definitely going to sit down. I'm sure I'm going to learn lots and Pam's away to do the budget spreadsheet to see if she can afford a fireplace. And uh, and thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, I can't wait to... Uh, to continue working with you like I said and when we come to Perth we'll definitely meet up for a little wine and uh or maybe we'll get we'll get a bottle and go and sit on the beach <laughs> <laughs> that sounds very sensible you know, spending wise I yeah, like it that yeah exactly great. do you like it Love <laughs> my thoughts um but it's been an absolute pleasure so thank you so much for your time and um yeah you've been amazing well, thanks for having me I've really enjoyed it Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope that you enjoyed it. And if you did, please give a little share on your social. And if you have time, please leave a review. And I hope to see you next time. Take care.